thank you all for coming. So just to give you a little sense of the architecture of the evening before I welcome the panel. So we're going to spend about 45 minutes giving you a much better sense of the production that you can expect uh, when it opens. And during that period, um, Fabian is actually going to work a little bit with Musa, so you'll be able to see some of the rehearsal process musically, which I gather is quite, quite unusual. And we're also going to finish with a musical extract from the opera, which I'll let the, um, the singer introduce. Um, but for now, could you join me in welcoming our panel? I should also say there'll be a chance at the very end to ask any questions you might want from the floor. So if any thoughts or queries do occur to you, hold on to them and we will come back to you at the very end. Um, so if we could start, perhaps it's easiest if you will introduce yourselves and your relationship to the production or your role in it, perhaps starting at the end. Hello, my name's Paul. I'm part of the chorus here uh, for Aida and indeed for the whole season. Hello, my name is Musa Nungwana. You can call me Musa because my last name is difficult. I'm from Port Elizabeth, South Africa, and I'm here to do Amonazro, the deposed king of Ethiopia. Hello, I'm Lena Johansson, and I'm movement director for AIDA. Uh, and I'm Phelan McDermott, I'm the director. Um, so for this team of AIDA, we've got a real mixture of people who are brand new to ENO and people who you probably know quite well. Um, perhaps we could start with Phelan. Could you remind us a bit about some of the shows uh, you've directed at ENO? Oh, blimey. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, first show that I directed for ENO was a, a, a Philip Glass uh, show uh, about Gandhi. Uh, an opera about uh, Gandhi's time in South Africa called Satyagraha, uh, which I think we made about eight, eight years ago now. So uh, my career into opera and into working with the ENO came through a, a, a remount of a modern opera. Uh, and uh, since then, for the ENO, I've done a few more shows. I've done two more Philip Glass pieces. I did the uh, Perfect American, and the production of Aknaton recently. And uh, what I would call um, uh, proper operas, I've done a production <laughs> of Cosi Fantuti. Uh, um, when I say proper operas, what I mean is uh, operas that people probably will have an opinion about <laughs> if you mess about with them. Uh, and this is my second proper opera. <laughs> Uh, Aida for the ENO. Sure. And Musa, this is not just your ENO debut, but your role debut. Yes, it is. So a lot of a lot of firsts here. Yeah, it was very interesting because when my manager said to me, "All right, man, so you're going to make your debut in the UK, and it's we ENO," so I was like, "Whoa, whoa, that's a big deal." And then I said, "Okay, what role and what opera?" He said, "It's a Verdi opera." I'm like, "It's a Verdi? Couldn't it have been Rossini or something?" It's Verdi and Amonazro. And it's interesting because I'm a bass baritone, and Amonazro is traditionally sung by baritones. And he doesn't sing a lot. He comes in on the finale of the second act, and the words in Italian, um, as soon as Aida sees him, she says, oh, cel mio padre, heavens, my father. He says in Italian, no mi tradir. In the um, translation here, we say, don't speak my name, but it's implied that don't betray me. So this is a warrior, he comes in, and then he sings, I'm your father, so padre, her father. And then he sings, but he doesn't sing bass, he sings in the baritone, passaggio. So people haven't heard you for an hour or so. When you come in, 
then you have to say it's an imposing voice or something. So that was interesting. I knew coming in here that not only am I making my role debut and my house debut, but it's a role that is difficult, even though it doesn't sing for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a challenge, but it's a great challenge because you say it has to be in a certain high standard for the English public and, and for the people that have hired you and for yourself as an emerging opera singer. Thank you. So, Phelim, you've also you've already mentioned this difference between uh, proper operas, as you call them, and, uh, <laughs> and Philip, joke, of course, <laughs> Philip Glass. I wondered, um, do you approach a Philip Glass opera differently to something like Aida that comes with a lot more cultural baggage, I suppose? Well, I think it's more about uh, the sound worlds. Uh, so, of course, Philip Glass is a... The challenge of Philip Glass is that um, you're, you're creating these pieces where the narrative is actually on some level, minimalist music, narrative minimalist as well on some levels. So you have to create uh, a different sense of narrative with the pictures that you're creating on stage. So that could be that someone's crossing from one side of the stage to the other, and that's gonna take three, four minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to make that make sense narratively. And the exciting thing about Aida, of course, is that there's like bags of narrative. Uh, however, um, what's been interesting working on it is there are some like big scenes, the big chorus scenes, and you go, ah, oh, actually these, the, the things that you're trying to solve in these stagings are actually very similar to the things that you have to solve in a production like Akhenaten, mm -hmm. where you've got big, big pictures. And you have to find a way through, um, although on some levels, uh, there's not a kind of, for instance, there's a, there's a big processional celebratory post-victory processional march. That's kind of one event. You've got to make that make a narrative sense in some way. Uh, so some of the challenges are actually very similar to working with the glass. At the same time, there are scenes in, in Aida where it's very much about two characters singing to each other and what they're singing to each other is making big changes to them. That's not the same kind of things that you're trying to solve as with, with the glass pieces. Mm. And had you worked with Aida before? Were you, how familiar were you with the opera? Uh, uh, not in any way whatsoever. <laughs> is uh, that a challenge or an advantage? I mean, I, you know, I would say, uh, it, it, I kind of play with this. I'm not in any way an opera expert. Um, I'm not someone who from an early age uh, unlike some people here, <laughs> from an early age, we're like, ah, oh, opera, opera. I, I feel like I've, I've come to opera late in my life, which is an interesting thing, because it feels very new to me, and it's very exciting to me. But I don't have in my head, ah, one day I'm going to direct Aida. I'm, I'm, I, I approach it with a, like, how, what, who are the people that I have in the room, the singers, and... and how do we make this make sense? Mm. So very often I'll go, uh, really, I'm not going to know what this scene's about until you really show me what it's about. Because mm. I like to work with singers and performers, and if they can make, for instance, the narrative clear, and we can find it together, and I can understand it, because I don't know what, say, for instance, release, then someone who might be new to opera, or someone who you know might see or we might find a story that's new in there. So I would say it's my biggest fault that I'm not, I don't know, 
I eat it off by heart before I start, but it's also my biggest asset because there is some wisdom in naivety, I think, mm. because you really see things and go, is that making sense? Would my grandma, who doesn't know uh, Aida, understand what's happening? Would my six-year-old boy understand what's happening? So that's kind of where I try and come from. Mm. And how did the process start? Did you come to ENO saying, I feel passionately moved to, to direct Aida? Do they come to you? They came to me. Mm. And, what then is <laughs> <laughs> and what then is the starting point? So you're faced with this project. What is the first thing you do? Oh, well, the first thing you do is decide whether you're going to do it. <laughs> and you go, do I, do I want to do Aida? That's the one with the elephants. Uh, um, and then, and then, you, then you go, when am I going to be asked to do Aida again? You know, uh, so you decide whether you would go, whether you would regret not doing it. Mm. Of course, I go, maybe I wouldn't say yes to it immediately, but I'm going to discover something new. And we discover something about myself as a director from doing it. So you can't, basically, you can't really say no <laughs> in a way. Or it, afterwards, you'd go, oh, and you watch someone else's production. You go, can I watch that? I, I could have done. So that's the first thing. And then you talk to a, a, a designer that you want to work with. And that may be part of the process of saying yes is about that. So I talked to Tom, who we'd done Aknarton with. And of course, we'd just done Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> just done ancient Egypt. <laughs> I'm going to do ancient <laughs> Egypt again. Um, and I think I've told some of you this uh, a, a previous talk, but our joke when we were doing Aknarton was, uh, whatever we do, it shouldn't look like a bad production of Aida. <laughs> so if you go online, you can see some productions of Aida. You go, oh, yeah, that, that's what Aknarton mustn't look like. So we, we did Aknarton, and we kind of felt like, yep, yeah, we pulled that one off. It was pretty good. So now our joke, of course, is, it's Aida. We mustn't make it look like a bad production of Aknarton. <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Uh, and we were very close to having done ancient Egypt. Um, so there was a little story around the design, uh, which um, I've shared with some people, which is that in the opening of um, Aknarton, we, we projected some hieroglyphics on the cloth that were very beautiful. And there was one in particular that Tom and I really liked, and it's a very simple hieroglyphic. It has a tall spike and then a, a line and then a, a vertical line. We kind of went, that's kind of beautiful. Um, and there's a feeling that we grew the whole of the design from that one image. And uh, we, we did a talk uh, with some people from the British Museum and, uh, and someone in the audience uh, said, well, what does that hieroglyphic mean? And I was like, oh, I don't actually know. <laughs> but there were some people from the British Museum there and they said, oh, it means offering. So we said, of course. Yeah. <laughs> our concept was a gift to the, the audience of our production of Aida. Uh, but it, it was nice that it seemed, there seemed something beautiful in that and beautiful in that idea. So those of you um, who may have seen Aknarton, or even if Aknarton comes back, you could in some ways look at both productions and see them as sister productions in a way, which is kind of interesting, I think, two great composers tackle ancient Egypt in, in different ways. 
You um, say sister productions. Obviously, Lena's sitting here. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we have head of skills suggests that, like the, the juggling that we had in Akhenaten, there is something exciting uh, to be had here. Can you tell us a bit about what we can expect from you and your team? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I work, uh, I've brought in a, a team of 10 female acrobats to be part of the movement skills. And I think the, um, one of the discussions there was very much looking at the set and with Tom and Phelim and going, how, how does human pyramids, so basically people climbing on each other, people balancing on top of each other, first of all was looking at how does that work within the set? And I think that's mm. sort of where we started some of the conversation from, was looking at the, the set design and these um, beautiful structures and how would um, human pyramids sit next to those. Um, then the next bit is of course looking at within the acrobatics there's um, within the, the acrobatic pyramids, which again it's not just a sort of like one person doing somersaults, it's actually people climbing, balancing on each other. Um, that in itself holds a lot of symbolism of trust, of risk, of, of trusting somebody else with your life at the end of the day. You know, so, so looking at how does, what, what, what comes out of that? What does that hold in a scene? You know, when do you, when do you uh, keep that in focus or when do you just want people to forget about what acrobats are doing and just see the whole picture? Um, and I think that's the, the constant um, conversation when bringing those skills in is, is uh, w when you do circus, your aim is to like really impress people, yeah? <laughs> But then when you do circus in a theatrical context, mm. which I can't count opera as, if you impress people too much, it, it distracts. Mm -hmm. So it's a constant conversation about getting that right. At this point, yes, you, that, that, that fits with the whole image. Or no, at this point, they're supposed to look at the, the duet over here, but they're just looking at the acrobats. You know, then it's wrong. So it's to find a balance in that, in that language. Mm. I wonder, Paul, you know, as a member of the ENO Chorus, how do you find working with all these extra elements? They must be quite distracting. There's a lot going on. There's a lot for you, for you to sort of fit around. Uh, there is a lot going on. I think it's, it's wonderful for us um, in all the productions we do, so many different productions and so many different styles. Uh, it is wonderful for us to work with people of different disciplines and different skills, and we learn, we do learn a lot from each other. Um, certainly, obviously, in, in Aknaten, uh, there was an element uh, of the chorus were, were juggling albeit just with one ball, but we were, there was a, a certain integration with what the skills were doing there. You may be relieved to hear we are not balancing <laughs> on other people's shoulders for this one. <laughs> not until the last night. Um, so, uh, so for us, it's, uh, it is interesting seeing, uh, seeing these different disciplines coming together and, and how we work together and, and what... Obviously, the, we, we're not... Uh, as integrated in this because we, because they are these are specific skills that we we really can't do. Oh, I'm so, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a, a masterclass tomorrow morning. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how these all knit together, and uh, we were saying the same with uh, with Carousel as well. With the, the um, when we did that with the the wonderful dancers we had there and the wonderful West End ensemble. So it's a con for us. It's a constant uh, opening of our eyes as, as to what it what it is that makes a credible piece of theatre and how, how, how we do all play off each other and each, I think each one of us helps the other to actually give of their best because you see people doing some incredible things and you can't help being inspired to, to therefore you know, up your own game as a result. I think one of, the, one of the interesting things for me coming to opera is that uh, just if you, if you think about the singers 
there is this uh, element that's slightly different from theatre. So theatre uh, sometimes, of course, is about like uh, incredible expertise, yeah. But uh, with opera and operas like this, there is basically a, a sense of athleticism about what's being done with the voice. Um, so for me, the challenge is, how do you include all these extraordinary elements, and here with a skills team of acrobats that would be the same thing as well, how do you contain them all within a piece of theatre that in some ways bigger than the sum of all the parts? so that you enjoy all the individual mm. elements and they're amazing, you know, there are some, there's, there is some extraordinary singing that happens in this opera. And there are moments where it is purely and simply thrilling because of that. But if it's just about that, it then becomes a series of things that you go, that bit was good, but if you can manage to create this thing that opera, I feel, has the capacity to do, which is to create this event which is bigger than the sum of the parts, then something really extraordinary can happen. Now, that's a challenge, and I think it's a challenge for a director, a company, and people putting an opera together. But it's, it's a challenge that you can't ignore, because, for instance, the first day when the chorus come in, you know, it was really interesting seeing the skills team who do these things with their, you know, with their bodies, suddenly hearing the sound in the room of the chorus singing was like, and you can feel it, you can see them feeling it in their bodies. There is something so visceral and extraordinary about that. Mm -hmm. And then there's a moment where the chorus see three uh, acrobats balance yeah. on each other's shoulders on top of each other, and everything went really, really, really quiet in the room. <laughs> so it was like, in a way, it was like the spectrum yeah. of what's in the piece. Now, um, our dream is to create a piece that holds all those possibilities. It, it, it holds all the extraordinary kind of uh, fireworks of what an extraordinary aria can do, but it isn't just about that. Or one would just go to a concert. Mm -hmm. Just go to a concert, which is absolutely fine, but this is <coughs> opera. And the thing about opera is it must tell a story, it, it, it's, it must be about emotions, and it must be about what's happening between the players on the stage. At which point I think we jump to Musa to say, you know, how do you combine both what Fielding's been saying about you as an athlete preparing a role, especially singing it for the first time, and then you as, as an actor bringing this emotional and dramatic content. I think uh, one of the advantages of never having done the role before is that you don't take it for granted. And for me, whenever I learn a new role, is I always say, what is it based on? The opera and the libretto. What are they based on? Are they based on a novel? So I'll read that. If it's a La Bohème, then you read the French novel and then you understand what the character's about, the Bohemians and the students struggling. And then you get to the libretto, then you'll find in the libretto there are changes so that it fits the new narrative before I even look at the music. So the important part then when you come to whatever production, whatever concept the director has, is that you don't come saying, I'm a singer, or I have to sing it this way. Of course you've learned that way, 
but you're open that the, the conductor will have some demands or suggestions on how you go about it, but then you combine with what the director wants. Mm -hmm. And so if you take it from the narrative of what the words say, because his concept and his approach to us has been saying that forget everything that you know or that you think you know. For instance, Latana has done this role 100 times. A hundredth performance was at the Met in New York. And so now this is 101. Yes. And, this, and then she said, but it feels like it's a new role because the approach is so different than she's done it before. Because Phelim is saying that don't go for trying to be realistic, but it has to be authentic. What are the words saying? If you say, no mitradir, do not betray me, don't speak my name. I want you to react in certain ways. Look at how she reacts to you and then act from that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So from that approach then, there are so many levels that you can learn and grow as an artist to do that. So for me, it's been um, beneficial because I'm learning a lot. Mm. And so even parts that sometimes you learn from a studio perspective where you work on the vocalism that have been difficult to approach. Then when you get on stage and do different stuff, then you realize that if you don't come at it as, as a singer trying to sing on the passaggio, but from an actor's viewpoint trying to act out, some of the singing even becomes easier because you're not trying to act but you're reacting and taking the process. I think this is a brilliant moment for, for you two to, to show us how this process works, if you, if you don't mind. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of a challenge. Maybe we should uh, do, do a little bit of uh, playing, and then I, I might... Moussa uh, uh, might sing, and I might show you just like one... say one, ex one exercise that I've been doing. So this is not like for performance, as it were, it's a little insight into one of the games. So a lot of the things that I do are about uh, are games between performers. So for me, for instance, Musa was saying, uh, you know, Latanya's done, the, she's done it 10, she's done it in 10 productions. Yeah. She's done it 100 times. So her first show here will be literally the 101st performance. So she's got all these other versions of it, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, likewise, Radam is Gwyn, it's the first time as well yeah, for him. Sure. So the two lovers, are, one's done it ten times, one's done it for the first time. How do you bring those people together? And the answer is to be in the moment, in the moment with the person. Because you're, as you've been saying, yeah. the character doesn't know what they're going to do next. So if I come knowing that Amonazro is coming and is about to say these words, then I've already failed. Because Amonazro doesn't know what he's going to say. He acts on the moment. So if I have preconceived ideas of it, it becomes difficult to have my mind open to any new ideas that could be beneficial to me. Yeah. So, so that has been the... Yeah. And then that's the acting challenge of plays and of opera, is how do you convince the audience that it's happening for the first time? Yeah? Because, you know, it, it should feel freshly minted. <laughs> because the characters don't know what's going to happen to them. But of course, they must know because they, they learned the music. <laughs> or they learned the words. So there's the acting yeah. challenge. So uh, maybe just do we do a little bit and then I'll do something that I would do. So... Sure. Yes, of So, so this is an exercise that Moose didn't get a chance to do in, in rehearsal. So this is kind of one of the 
when are games that I might play with, with performers? So we've got a, a, some amazing sort of singing. Yeah? Um, the other thing that, that has to be conveyed on the stage is, is uh, emotions. So how do we know what an actor or a singer is? is how do we know what they're feeling? That's a little question for you. Expression on their faces? Their face? Yes. Body, what they're doing with their body. Anything else? Expression in the voice. Expression in the voice. So we might work with different things. So this is an exercise that works with the face. So it's an interesting thing because I make, a, I make a, a request which sometimes seems, oh, I'm not allowed to, directors say, don't do that. I'm going to make a, a request. I'm going to ask you to make some big faces, like uh, mugging, you know, like pulling faces. Okay. Yeah? And I, I'm, I'm going to flash a card at you, and I want you to, I will do it this way so they can see. Okay. I'm going to flash a card at you, and you've got to make that, make that face. So pull them almost like a mask, okay. like a big face. So do that face. Now do that face. And as you're doing it, can you, can you notice that your body wants to join in? Okay. For the moment, try and keep your body relaxed and out okay. of it. Yeah? Just act on the face. Yes, yeah. Just with the face. Now I would say the size of these faces are around about mark three. Can you take them up to six? So really pull big faces. Good, excellent. And sometimes a card might come up that you go, what's that? Yeah, but just make one up, whatever. Because okay. <laughs> they don't know what it is. For instance, say you got angry. Yeah. Got angry on the face. You go, ah. And I know it's your, your, your body wants to join in. Yeah. And this is one of the challenges of singing. Because if you're doing an angry aria, you have to be able to sing some extraordinary notes sometimes. Without so being angry. Without, without going tense in your. So you, you have to be able to show anger on your face, but actually be relaxed enough in your body that it doesn't interfere too much with the vocal instrument. Yeah. So these are some of the challenges. Because if, if I, instantly, it happens the other way as well. Yes. For instance, if I need to, if I can't sing. If I try and sing a high note, see, I end up pulling a face in order to do that. Yeah. Ideally, if I was an opera singer, I would need to sing that high note and pull any face, yeah, to show any emotion. So ideally what you want is to be able to do any gesture, anything, and have all the choice. It's about choice. Yeah? So sing an angry aria, but not get too tense in your body. Yeah? Sing an angry aria and do that gesture. Sing an angry aria and do that gesture. So, but it still flows one color. It still flows. So there's little interference things that for the, the performance instrument 
that <coughs> must be worked on. Now, the other thing is that in a scene, you might look across at your player, and inside you feel an emotion, yeah? And you sh go, I'll let that emotion show on my face. So if I look at Musa now, I go inside, I go, oh, I feel curious. I show that on my face a bit. Yeah. Yeah. What are you worried about? Yeah, and he, oh, now, now I feel amused, yeah? And I show that on. So there's a little conversation happening between us, yeah? So that's outside in, uh, sorry, inside out. Inside I go, oh, curious, I'll show that. You can work the other direction. You can also go outside in, which is what I was doing earlier. Yeah, I flashed some cards, and he saw some attitudes. They were arbitrary, they were sort of, you know, shuffled. And he shows them on the outside and makes sense of them from the inside, okay? So, the game now is, <laughs> But I'm going to get you to, and we're doing this faster than probably you would do. You're going to sing the same aria that you sang, and I'm going to flash cards at you <laughs> to show those emotions as you sing, okay? to die, loving, your brain would go, loving? When I'm telling you something yeah. when, when I'm telling you that I'm going to, but he, he knows what the text is and what the story is, so he picks up that emotion, loving, and boy does he make sense of it, yeah? What was difficult though was that um, there was a moment where the music is tender and you said tender, and then after tender came insolent. How do you change from ten yeah. and something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. But also, see how many different emotions he can do yeah. within one line. Now, generally, not true with a wonderful performer like this, generally, a singer will go one emotion, if this is the angry aria, yeah. Angry, angry, happy, happy. But can you find these different emotions in. Now, if you've got two people on stage, they're playing different emotions. They can begin to have a real, they, I can see an emotion there and I add this one. He sees that emotion back and it becomes a really extraordinary performance conversation between two <coughs> performers, yeah? And it does become freshly minted, yeah? You find a new meaning. Now, ideally, that exploration can keep going every night. So someone who's done Aida a hundred times, <laughs> each night can find something different. Sometimes it might be to do with literally how they're feeling that night and some other things come in. It could be the atmosphere that comes from the audience that changes how they perform it. You know? And the most exciting thing, and I, I think this is true, in a performance, when you go see an extraordinary performance of a singer, you notice that they, they've almost surprised themselves by what came out of them. Yes, 
how they interpreted it. So they discovered something new. And that's the wonderful thing about these operas that are proper operas. <laughs> There's a reason why they're still around. It's because you can find these new things in it. You know, there is no one way to play this character. One of the difficult parts of one of your exercises that we did was we're doing the duet between Aida and Amunazo. And he's trying to find the roots and the path which the Egyptian army is going to take so that he can re-attack. And so he wants the information from his daughter. Now the interesting part, she's so much in love with the captain of the opposing force, Ragamets. She doesn't want to, she has a dichotomy and caught in between. So he says to her, you are no longer my daughter. And you are now a slave of the pharaoh. I mean, she's a princess. You call him a princess a slave. And then he makes an analogy of his dead wife, Hemar, saying, look at these shadows. And there's this skeleton rising up of the rubble, only to curse you. So all these three things apparently get to her. And then she changes her mind to find the path by which they're going to take so that they, 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 uh, the Ethiopians can attack. So the, the exercise that we did, usually when an opera singer is angry in a scene, you want to turn away because you don't want to have to deal with this person. So he said, the two of you just look at each other. Even though you're saying, I don't want you, but look at her, stare at her. Do the whole duet staring at each other. That was so tough. <laughs> because then, if, if I don't want to deal with you, I don't even want to look at your face. So I, how do I do that while we are pleading with you? And it's interesting then how we're, we're able to evolve, even though eventually you might turn away, but the sincerity that kind of came out of that, which I felt was very helpful. Also, I think the vulnerability that comes out of that yes. is always when performers are interesting, I think. For me, the most exciting performers are people who have this extraordinary skill, but they also bring vulnerability with it, because the thing about skill is, it can become armor. It can be a thing which is about impressing people. But with these stories, you want the characters to be changed and vulnerable. So I think great performers have this ability to know, you know, do all these things, but bring kind of vulnerability to it. And so that was great leaping well, in. Thank you. <laughs> thought you were <laughs> marvellous, marvellous. So we've heard quite a lot about the process of getting into a character, you know, conceiving a new production. But I don't know about you, but I'm quite interested to know about the concept as well, what world we're entering into. So is this an Aida of elephants and ancient Aida I, I, I of elephants. I mean... Uh, that, that was the sort of joke, because uh, uh, whenever you, you mention that you're... There aren't any elephants, everybody. <laughs> hooray, boo, hooray, boo. We want the elephants. Um, we, I mean, it's... Some of... Ooh, blimey. Some very angry about the fact there's no elephants. Uh, the, the thing about, for me, the thing about uh, when you've got, like... Uh, got to create ancient Egypt. And it's, it's something that we looked at with Agnaton. Um, for me, what I like to see on stage is, a, is a, 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 a kind of what I would call an authentic world 
a world that's authentically believable. And often, being realistic, for me, doesn't really solve that. So I would say that Aida that you'll see will definitely have the spirit and the feel of ancient Egypt. And a little bit like Akhenaten, there may be kind of modern references in there, um, but it will be a complete believable world. Um, I wanted the piece to have atmosphere, and I wanted it to be about, ultimately, about the relationships with people. So it, it it's, has these big, grand scenes in the first half, and then it becomes this opera which is about, you know, in the end, one of the most intimate things you could possibly imagine, which is two lovers dying together in a tomb. Um, and I wanted that feeling that's at the end to be latent within the beginning of it. I'm making this up now. I'm pretending I knew. But that, uh, this is what you realise when you work on things. Ah, that's why that was important. It, it's an opera that will have light and dark in it. So there's a, I'm really excited by this poster that they created because on some levels it really does capture what we're trying to <coughs> kind of have in the show. This, um, is that there? This shaft of light, this Aida figure's captured in. Um, so it, it's light and darkness. My, you know, the joke about the bad Aidas. All the lights are on, it's and then that's kind of it. Um, a little bit like the, I joked about this, the top floor of Harrods, you know. <laughs> it, it's kind of a bling, as they call it. I didn't want it to be that. I wanted it to have atmosphere and depth. Partly because people have said to me, oh, the characters are a little bit two-dimensional. You know, they're, they're a little bit, you know, I, well, I, actually, I, I, I want to grapple with that challenge and make people really buy into these, this story of these mythic characters. And so I wanted it to have, be impressive. I wanted it to be like atmospheric and erotic and sensuous. So, you know, Tom talked about like torch light for some of the scenes, you know, flame light and this thing of light and darkness. Um, and it should feel mythic in its scale. And I, I got, it was, we had a kind of tough day today working with the skills, working through some difficult scenes. And I got a chance to walk across the stage just as I got here and saw some of the set. And I got really, <laughs> oh God, that's exciting. The set's really exciting because <clears throat> it's, it's, it's quite, oppressive and you know this feeling of the t this tomb that we're going to end up is it's present from the beginning i think but it's very beautiful the set and it's going to be you know with bruno's lighting it's going to be lit very beautifully i think and then kevin pollard who some of you know from his costumes for Agnaton, within that setting is creating some really extraordinary costumes <laughs> Um, and, and they're different from the style of the costumes in Akhenaten, but they mm. will be as exciting and glorious, I think, as, as that. So, um, I don't know if I an I've answered your question there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I've got another. Okay. Um, when I, 
sort of see it when I when I listen to Aida. It, to me, it's so sort of painfully topical thinking mm. about refugee crisis, mm. about political violence. Do mm. you invade? Mm. At what point is violence a justified response to something? Mm-hmm. How far <coughs> for you is that a problem as a director that it speaks so overtly to something that is so current for us? How far do you engage or avoid that? I don't think it's. I mean, I, at the end of the day. You get in the room and you go, this is an amazing story. Let's try and tell this story really well and honour it. If you start to think too much about what it means or what it... You can sort of uh, um, inhibit yourself. Um, So you sort of have to forget those things and go, let's just make the... (laughs) Let's make the best show possible that we can. And for me, the best show possible is to try and tell that story. So... There's a certain point, for instance, uh, the, the 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 victory procession. What's it? What's the Triumphal March. Yes. Yeah. The Triumphal March. Elephants, whatever. Da 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 da. And I wanted that. I kind of thought, let's try and make that mean something. You know, these people have just come back from a war. So we have a version which says it's not, they've not just been victorious, but some of the people in the process of making that victory happen, some people have died. And I, so in terms of like a contemporary thing, I wanted that to, to sort of be present in that. And uh, I think it's, it's interesting because it's not, you, you, you're not gonna get elephants, you get something else. <laughs> But on some level, just as dramatic, I think, as elephants. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about that being a story rather than just a parade, mm-hmm. which I think it often is. And sometimes it's a parade with live, you know, you see the Met productions with live horses, and you go, well, what, how can you top the live horses? Well, they should really be bringing a real elephant on, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've put a story in there which is interesting I think and it's a story about war um, so it feels like that you know human story within it is taking place in a wider context whether a war is really happening Paul you've been involved in productions of Aida before mm-hmm. um, how does this differ how does that that, that story that Bailey was talking about does that change how you engage with it as a, as a performer uh, certainly, uh, at that particular moment, yes, certainly it does. I, uh, unfortunately, I didn't do the last production here. I did do the last production they did at uh, the Abbott Hall, um, which is uh, different again. It's a much bigger space to fill, so it is full of big, grand gestures. And it, I think it was, that was quite a, a clever idea. In fact, it was, I think in some ways, quite similar to Agnaton. People this, coming across the ruins of a, of a civilization. the story grew out of that. Um, but that was by its very nature, more of a spectacle, mm. a, a bigger place to fill, and you can make these bold gestures without it being lost. Um, and I have seen, and I have been part of productions at the Royal Albert Hall where things have become very intimate, and it does work, but it, it's very tricky, I think, in that space to get the sort yeah. of intimacy that, that you will get from, from this production. Um, uh, what, what's been great for us is uh, failing always gives us a, a degree of freedom. We, you know, we, we work very well as a company, as a, as a chorus, and it's wonderful that Famous is right, off you go, and, 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 and you create something, and you bring something, mm. and, and, and yet yeah, it's a filtered out, and things are edited in, of course, um, but it's nice for us to create something. And it is, 
the Triumphal March in particular is, is, is a very different take on it and something that I hope we're all buying into, something mm. we, we mm. feel we are buying into. I mean, I think for me, the process is, is about trusting performers and you, you get them to show you stuff and you go, ah, that, that, that works, do, do that more. <laughs> so I, you know, I think if you work that way, the ideas that come out Ha, first of all, they they emerge from the thing that you've kind of the, the container you've created, but secondly, the performers they own them as gestures because they've they've created them. So that's that's the intention I think. Whereas, you know, uh, there's been jokes about uh, the number of things that uh, people who've been in previous production of Aida's have had to do, you know, running on treadmills and <laughs> certain things that happened, certain things that happened in the overture, which you kind of gone, oh, what, why is that? And it's a director's idea. I'm not, I personally am not that interested in a clever director's idea. I, even if there is a bold idea, you have to contain that and make it something that really kind of is authentic. Um, You've spoken a lot about authenticity, about um, immediacy being in the moment. And um, also, you actually play opposite two different uh, Aidas. There are two different sopranos taking the role during the run. Yeah. How, how does that differ in your reaction between one and the other? Are you a different Amanazro from one night to the other? Yeah, I mean, the, the other soprano is not here yet. She's coming in mid run in October. Then we're going to start rehearsing with her after we've done five positive performances. So I cannot go there saying, this is what we've done with Latani. So I have to feed off her on how she approaches it and adjust, which is the, the great thing for me because I'm still learning. And hopefully she's not one of those diva sopranos who's going to say, when I did this in Germany, this is how we did it. <laughs> if she's amenable to just working with a different person and making it authentic, then we'll do that. You know, so that's going to be interesting, right? Because you work with different people. Um, I, we did Poggy and Bess at the Glimmerglass Festival. And I did it with one soprano, but there was a cover, so there were times where the soprano was sick and when we were rehearsing, so we had to do it with a cover. And the cover brings her own thing, so I had to adjust every time and feed off of what she's doing so that I don't come with what I think I know, but I feed off of her strengths. And for me as an actor, then I, I, I think I get better a little bit by <coughs> learning and trying to adjust so that I'm not uh, fixated on what one idea. Philip, this must be a challenge for you too, having someone coming in later. Well, I mean, I, you know, the, ideally, the way that we're working means that everyone's really ready for that <laughs> because they will be responding to what the new element is. And if you create, you create that culture across the board in the company, then it's easy for someone to step into that and to become part of that same thing. It, it, it's, it involves trust. Because it means everyone has to, one of your jobs if you work in this way is to try and get everyone to come on board with that game, you know? Because it's, it, it, that's what makes it, it work. But, you know, I found that opera singers are really extraordinary beasts because, you know, this thing where sometimes you're rung up and you go, you're going to be on in, in a, two hours. days' time or two hours, whatever. Yeah. And they step out, you know, I'm in Rigoletto, but which particular Rigoletto am I yeah. in? <laughs> uh, is, it is part of that kind of... So on some level, 
I think, although opera singers could be considered to be these people who go, I do it this way, the opposite could also be true, is that they're just like improvisers. Yeah. Because they have to really be in the moment and be awake to... Um, also, I mean, they, they will have different voices. Mm. So, for me, uh, whenever I work with tenors and sopranos, they always come first, then I, we live longer because they are divas and divas. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you work with metal sopranos, it's always easier, you know. But uh, tenors and sopranos, they live in their own planet. So if you want it to be successful, then when I work with her, I'm just going to feed off on what she wants and then adjust my voice accordingly. That way we can balance it out. Otherwise, it may be a surprise. <laughs> Tonight we have no soprano or tenor. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we're actually going to finish up by hearing you sing a bit of what we will hear when the show opens. Yes. Um, perhaps you or Phelan or, or Murray could tell us a bit about what the context of this piece of music. Well, in fact, Moose has already described it uh, to you. It's, the, it's a, a short section of the duet that we were going to perform in its entirety between um, Amanasa and Aida. Um, this section, uh, there are a few Aida lines which I'm going to play on the piano, apart from the very end. Now, um, Phelan, you gave us a really lovely high note. Would you like to just... Could you just, <laughs> could you just, demo, could you just demonstrate again, please? Your high note when you... The, the, you know, ah, one here. OK, would you all do that, please, now? Go. But at, <laughs> at, at the, this, is, this is the scene where, where Amanasa is saying, you, you're no longer my daughter, the bit he described ex exactly earlier. Um, and at the very end, she goes, ah, and I want everyone to do ah. <laughs> and that will be the end of our, of our evening, I believe. <laughs> this part of the evening. <laughs> Paul is not singing Aida. No. He's just, he's just turning, turning the pages. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Philip is kind of interesting because he wrote that opera um, 32, 33 years ago. Um, uh, and he is very much of the opinion that if, if an opera is going to go into the canon, then it should, it should be able to stand up to being lots of done lots of different ways. So basically that means he just says, get on with it. Um, I mean, there might be some questions that you have about it, but with Agnaton, he was not interested in saying, and similarly with Satyagraha as well, he was not interested in saying it should be done like this. For him, he was really excited about seeing a very different production. Um, so he's, he's pretty laid back about that. Anyway, he's so busy writing his next thing uh, of the other three projects that he's got on the go. You know, he's extraordinary, Philip, uh, that he, 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 I think he's excited about uh, being surprised. 
He was he was very involved when we did Agnarton in the eighties. I was involved in those productions, keyboard player, and um, he spent quite a long time with me programming synthesizers and things. So he he was here a lot then. But I, I think, as Fame says, now that the piece has been really absorbed into into the um, into the repertoire, it's yeah. no longer the thing. Yeah. We could go back to Aida for a moment. Um, Aida seems to me to be such a contrast between very intimate scenes with very few, with two people or three mm. people and these massive polit uh, political and religious ceremonies. Mm. How do you manage to move between one sort of circumstance and the other? Mm. With the huge E&O stage, which is actually more suited to the mm -hmm. public ceremonies than it is to those intimate mm. duets. I mean, I, 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 exactly. That's the challenge, I think, and it's kind of why. You know, this picture here. Uh, th there's this single figure, <laughs> within this focused, and then you've got this space around it. So. That's. I guess that's the challenge, um, and my answer to that question is, we'll find out when we <laughs> get on stage next week. But I, I, I think some of the things that I've been showing you, for me, are those the solutions to that, because it could be easy for the style that has to happen in the ritual bits to work against the intimacy of the intimate bits. And ideally, you want, you want the conversation to go both ways. You want the big bits to mean something because of the intimate scenes, and then you want the intimate scenes to be kind of like really potent and mythical in their sort of resonance because you've connected those two things. So I think that's, on some levels, that's one of the challenges of opera. You know, how do you make these extraordinary grand gestures and still make this relationship between these two people believable? That's one challenge of it, I think. The other is that you go, let's fill this stage with everything we've got, and you'll see that, because the, 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 you'll see it with the chorus and the sound. But then how do we close it down to the point where this scene inside a tomb really feels like uh, the most contained, concentrated thing possible. Um, and you can do a grand gesture about a very focused, kind of contained space that's two people, I think. And I think in, in Tom's design, that's a journey, and I think some of you are here may have seen some of the pictures of the design in, in what we're doing. It goes from that, uh, well, it actually, I would say it starts with that, <laughs> it goes to that, and then it ends like that. So it, that journey we have explored with the design as well, I and mean, that might sound a bit vague and abstract. Physically, it will go from that's both, both, yeah. Um, so the journey of the show, I would say, goes it goes like this. It goes this, 
this tiny, 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 big, 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 big out there. And then the end, as it gets, you know, it goes down, 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 down. So the promise of the end is in the beginning. Um, that's how, if anyone heard, heard that taped, they probably think that was highly pretentious. But <laughs> that there is that feeling of, of that's the challenge. What you've said is the challenge of the piece. Um, and I, I, I certainly wouldn't say I know if we've solved that, but that's definitely the intention that we have in our vision of the piece to try and, and, and achieve that. Yes. Twice, mm. story, which I thought was very interesting because, in a way, I was thinking it's also a very realistic, almost banal story. Mm -hmm. um, the boss's daughter is in love with this yes. guy and yes. a bit on the side. Yes. Um, and his future career depends on keeping her sweet. Yes. So I was wondering. I'm very glad you're not doing it, mm. but how it could be done in a sort of completely modern, non-Egyptian. Except, I don't think it always ends up with you with you in, dying in a tomb. <laughs> That's the, and, and you know, uh, uh, Latanya was sort of saying that she why, what she what she goes back, and she dies with him in a tomb. You know, if it was, if, I love my family and my husband, she mm -hmm. said, but I'm not sure even in these circumstances I'd go and. So these figures are tragic figures. And they are living out a tragic mythic story. Why it's a bit... So they are, on one level, living out... You know, at the beginning, the gods said, this is going to happen to you, you're going to fall in... And this will result in you actually dying with your lover in the tomb. And because of that, there will be a story about love being greater than... Yes. So... I think you could make a small scale story of it, but personally, well, I don't think it would be, di actually, I don't think it would be difficult for the very reasons that you said. You could reduce it to that. But for me, and it's a very personal taste, I, I want my opera to be mythic in scale, not least because the sound is epic and mythic, you know. And so... On some levels, I've been encouraging people to not be ashamed of making big, grand, operatic gestures and pictures on the stage. Because from the outside, that's when it most makes most sense to me. When the pictures sometimes that I see look like extraordinary, beautiful paintings with all these different stories going on with it. When it, when it comes down to trying to encourage people to be... I won't say realistic, I would say naturalistic in their performance, it doesn't, for me, have the resonance and quality which is in the music, in the scale of the, the size of the stage. In a, it doesn't, for me, read like authentic opera that I want to go and see. And to be honest, there is a bit of me putting on the stage what I want to see. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. I want to see my 
operas be operatic? On which note, I think we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a better ending.